from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. There has been a lot of money that has been put into these problems across the region. Do you think that money has been put in the wrong buckets? Yes. There are a lot of people who use drugs that don't have problems. But when people yes. talk about drug users and substance abuse, they think of a person with uh, bad morals, right? Yeah. Who's engaging in bad behavior. And like, if we can't navigate that, what do you think about the individual who's in that system? So one big, big takeaway, our system is just, it's horrible. Those basic survival needs, those are the words that continue to come up in these focus groups. I'm Sarah Fenske. Opioid deaths among Black residents of St. Louis City and St. Louis County increased more than 30 percent in 2020. That's 376 city and county residents killed in overdoses. And now opioid-related overdose deaths among white St. Louisans decreased in 2021 from that first pandemic year spike. But for Black St. Louisans, the increase only continued. Researchers are alarmed, and joining us today with more on this topic are two people who are associated with a new initiative. It hopes to better understand the lives of St. Louis area black drug users and to help them. Dr. Kanika Cunningham is a family medicine doctor at Family Care Health Centers of Carondelet. Dr. Cunningham also leads community outreach for the Center Initiative. That's a new collaboration aimed at reaching the black community. So, Dr. Cunningham, welcome. Thank you. And we're also joined today by Devin Banks. She is an assistant professor of clinical psychology at the University of Missouri-St. Louis and the director of UMSL's Racial Equity and Addiction Across the Lifespan Lab, also called the Real Lab. And she leads the research arm of the Center Initiative. Devin, welcome. Thank you for having me. So Devin, you've said that this Center Initiative that we're going to talk about today exists because of these worrisome trends that I shared some numbers about. And I understand there are some new numbers in this that just came out this morning. What are they telling us? That's right. So what they're telling us um, is that the increases in death among Black St. Louisans uh, continue uh, to rise disproportionate to those of um, non-Black St. Louisans. Uh, so specifically in the city and the county combined in 2021, death rates, or not rates, excuse me, but deaths among Black St. Louisans increased about 7%, while they decreased 7% among white residents in the city and county. So wow. overall, over the last five years, when you take that take the last six years into account, that's about a 520, 530% increase in overdose death among black residents compared to um, about half that uh, in white residents. A more than 500% increase? Over the past six years, that's right. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's a number that just, it makes me stop in my tracks, Dr. Cunningham. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> and if we look back, you know, the last five years, as Dr. Banks was saying, that we've seen this steady increase among, unfortunately, our black males, but also our black females as well. Um, and if we think about the resources that, you know, the state of Missouri was given so many funds, millions of dollars for, for preventive efforts, why are our black St. Louisans, our black people who use drugs continuing to, to die, given that all these amount of millions of funds have been 
um, instituted. So I think for us, it's definitely, it's, it's a larger issue. Um, and I think it's, it's beyond time for us to really focus and be intentional about our efforts because our people are dying, our black people are dying. And I know there was this real fear, okay, 2020, this is this terrible year, like society got upended, like of course we're going to have to see a spike. But it sounds like from what you're saying with these numbers, this is something that was rising before that yes. and has continued to rise even yes. as we settled into 2021. We can't say this is just a pandemic thing. Correct. Correct. Definitely came. This, I mean, I think it, uh, it speaks to the larger issues with where we initially directed our resources. So if you look at there were plenty of treatment deserts and resources, specifically in black neighborhoods. Um, we have to look and see where do people, where can people access Suboxone? There's very few methadone clinics, but methadone is not the only form of treatment. So access to care, recovery and treatment resources, housing. So there's significant disparities and inequities that are present that we have to bring attention to in order to change what's taking place. And it's not only the pandemic, that just made it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that increased our sense of urgency to the need because people are dying, um, but we can't blame it on a pandemic. We have to blame it on us, institutions, organizations. Um, we take the blame for this. So, Dr. Cunningham, I know you've been doing some focus groups and you've been listening and hearing what's being said, and I want to dig into what you're hearing here. But first, I want to talk about what these focus groups are coming out of. This is the center initiative that you guys are both so involved in and so passionate about. Devin, what's the idea with this? So the mission of the center initiative is to reduce overdose um, among black people in St. Louis and improve the overall health and well-being and investment in black people who use drugs and black people who are most affected by addiction and overdose. So that means not just people who use drugs, but also their families and Mm -hmm. communities and really taking a holistic approach to addressing, uh, a community approach to addressing the overdose crisis in our region. And so what's the timing on this? What brought everybody together and and how far are you along in terms of getting this up and going? Great question. So to your point about this being a pre-pandemic issue, um, we started to see increases in these numbers in in. 2018, 2019, with the introduction of fentanyl into the drug supply in St. Louis. Um, And that's when we really started to see inequities uh, that were disproportionately affecting black people. And so our, uh, we have wonderful colleagues who brought together people with uh, different resources, people like Dr. Cunningham, who's in primary care, people like me, who's a nerdy researcher, <laughs> uh, some community partners who are engaging grassroots efforts on the ground to say, how can we all use our resources and different approaches to this problem together um, to, like I said, holistically address the, the overdose crisis among black St. Louisans specifically. And I think the other thing, too, with this initiative that a lot of us have um, wanted to do was destigmatize substance use. I mean, for so long, it's been punitive practices. It's been punishing people or calling people failures and labeling people by all these different terms and not realizing that this is a chronic disease mm-hmm. um, that has affected our community. And so like my big speaking point now is changing our language, making it more acceptable and receiving for somebody who, A, use drugs. Um, I think the other thing too, just the reality that drugs are gonna always be in our community. And I tell people that like, that's a reality. Like, so how can we function? Like thinking that this is gonna be a drug-free society and all of the Just Say No campaigns, like, that stuff doesn't work. Put yeah. it like that. But I think our 
um, efforts need to be intentional at destigmatizing this and really meeting people where they are. That's some of the ideas behind harm reduction, and that's why this center initiative is created. Like we want to invest, as Dr. Banks was saying, in the health and well-being of people, and specifically for people who use drugs. But that's a different concept that our community we think is foreign, but it's something that we need to change so we can save lives. And you talked yes. about language, and I'm interested in, in language. I want to use the right terms, and, and sometimes it's so hard. What's an example you would say of, of how we should talk about this compared to what how we have been talking about it? Right. I think one thing, I mean, using person who use drugs instead of labeling them um, a drug addict, I absolutely do not like that term. <laughs> I mean, if somebody want to call themselves that, I mean, I do a lot of education sure. one-on-one in the office about how that word itself is so full of stigma, but saying something as a person who uses drugs, mm-hmm. um, that's very different than saying a drug addict. I mean, if you hear that word, it's just kind of like you think of all these different degrading type things mm-hmm. and you take away that human um human factor that's in that in that part. So that would be one thing that I'm a big stickler on um, is just like getting rid of that word and just say, this is a person who uses drugs and and saying opiate use disorder um, and not, you know, certain terms I don't like, crackhead, crack cocaine. Like those mm-hmm. are like those words that just kind of like makes me fiery on the inside. But yeah. those would be two things. And Dr. Banks, I think you may have some words too that you... Like. Substance abuse uh, oh, yeah. used to be it used to be a medical diagnosis, so I understand oh. that we struggle with that, uh, getting over some old terms that used to be okay. Uh, but substance abuse is very stigmatizing. Yes. Um, so oh, there are a lot of people who use drugs that don't have problems. But when people yes. talk about drug users and substance abuse, they think of a person with uh, bad morals, right, who's engaging in bad behavior. And substance use by itself is not necessarily bad behavior. And it's the intersection of substance use and a whole bunch of other things that happen in people's lives that lead to substance use disorder or addiction. And so substance abuse just doesn't, uh, it, 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 is very stigmatizing and it suggests that people are abusing or doing something wrong mm-hmm. and doesn't take into consideration that this um, is a, a disorder and a disease that has a lot of underlying conditions, like, for example, trauma. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. And those, I think, you know, it's a wake-up call for us all to continue to think about our language. Some of those things that, that, oh, it sounds so official. I'm not calling someone a crack addict. I'm saying they're a drug addict. It's like, no, that's still, you're putting their addiction front and center. Mm -hmm. It's not something that detaches from the person. You also talked about harm reduction. Yes. Um, This is something that is a big part of this center initiative. Tell us what that is, how that works on a practical level. Yes, I love talking about harm reduction. Um, I think I shock my patients when I talk about harm reduction. So harm reduction, just very simple, is meeting somebody where they are. And I think this idea of, um, you know, achieving recovery, what does that look like for the individual? So a lot of times we try to put our own, you know, ones and twos in there about what we think recovery is. So for some patients I take care of, recovery could be, you know, no longer using IV, but snorting. Recovery could be very different things to that individual, but it's meeting somewhere, it's meeting someone where they are, wherever there are, wherever they are on that process. It's meeting them with it. So a lot of my counseling, like in practice, when I'm seeing patients in the clinic, I talk to people about, you know, different strategies, things that you can use so that you won't overdose and die. I want to see you back next week, a few weeks after that. Um, One thing with a chronic disease that there were all, I would say that majority of the times there would be recurrence of use. Um, When somebody come in, you know, you may not think, even though they're coming to treatment to have this idea that somebody's going to, you know, get started on treatment, never use again. Like that's, that's unrealistic. So it's educating people 
people knowing that that's a possibility that could happen, you know, and, and it could just be something I just want to use. How can I educate you to stay alive? So harm reduction tips, safe use tips. Um, you know, I prefer, you know, if you do return to use, use a smaller amount, um, get fentanyl testing strips. I mean, there are people who primarily like cocaine or methamphetamine. And as Dr. Banks was hinting to, fentanyl has poisoned our drug supply. So somebody may be buying cocaine and may not know that fentanyl is present, but use a fentanyl testing trip. So that way you can make the decision. Do I want to throw this out if it's present? What do I want to do with this supply? It's a very different approach. But what we've done in the past has not worked because we're continuing to see that people are dying. So all of this we put in place didn't work. So now we need to do something different. And it's all about listening to the voices of the community, to those who use and educating and teaching somebody and not you know, putting somebody in jail for this. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of meeting somebody where they are, no matter what path or road that they're on, is meeting the individual where they are with that. So Devin, you're on the research side of this. Do we know that these harm reduction strategies can work, that they can help prevent some, some overdose deaths that we would otherwise see? Absolutely. Uh, the harm reduction strategies have been uh, in the past few years shown to be very efficacious. I mean, at the end, uh, at the end of the day, naloxone or Narcan is a life-saving drug and um, is very effective for reducing overdose. So I think recently the CDC actually recommended that uh, the average American carry Narcan, either have it in their um, medicine cabinet or in their vehicle, um, because it is just as important in this day and age as having a mask to prevent this public health crisis. More people in St. Louis City died uh, in 2020 of a drug-related overdose than of COVID-19. And 422 black men alone died in St. Louis City, which was more than dumber deaths of COVID-19. Right. And so when you compare the public health response in the city to COVID-19, I'm not saying we shouldn't have had (laughs) a large public health response, but where's that large public health response to the overdose crisis as well? Mm -hmm. And so that Narcan, this is a medication that if somebody is overdosing, it can help them survive that overdose. Correct. You're not stopping somebody from using, but you're stopping the part that kills them. Correct. Yeah, correct. We're talking today to Devin Banks. She's an assistant professor of clinical psychology at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. She leads the research arm of the Center Initiative that is aiming to help um, address the the just troubling increase in the number of overdoses among black St. Louisans. We're also joined by Dr. Kanika Cunningham. She's a family medicine doctor at the Family Care Health Centers of Carondelet, and she leads community outreach for that Center Initiative. So, Dr. Cunningham, I alluded to these focus groups that you've been doing. You're talking to individual users. You're listening to people. What are you hearing, broadly speaking, when they talk about what's going on in their life and and what's driving what's happening? Right. I think I'll find Dr. Banks did a, a lot of the um, details of all of that data. So, Dr. Banks, I think you can probably speak best to that. And then I can fill in with different holes. But Dr. Banks was the one analyzing a lot of that, that sure. information. Sure. So uh, the focus groups that we've done so far, I, again, like I said, when we came together for a center initiative, we wanted to include people who are already working on this. And we have to acknowledge that there are nonprofit and grassroots organizers and organizations in North St. Louis and in predominantly black communities who have been on the ground trying to address this issue, doing outreach, giving out naloxone, trying to build relationships and trust so that people People who use, black people who use drugs know where to come when they are ready for yeah. to get linkages to treatment. And so we started talking to those people and to community health workers to see what are you seeing on the ground. You know what are um, the 
challenges that some of the people you're serving are having. And largely we see, um, unfortunately, that decades of disinvestment in black communities have led to um, lack of resources, Mm -hmm. um, an environment that doesn't allow for other socially adaptive activities, Mm -hmm. um, a lack of available treatment resources, inability to get to treatment, um, lack of eligibility for the treatment that is there due to either co-occurring mental health concerns or not having um, a place to live. And then a big one is not having a place to lay your head. So when you Mm -hmm. are ready to enter treatment, um, it's you need some stability underneath you. And yeah. so people really struggle with this disinvestment. Because of this disinvestment in these communities, they don't have housing. They don't have a place. They don't have stability, security, those basic survival needs. Those are the words that continue to come up in these focus groups, that people are just looking for stability, for securities, for survival. And you know what can give you those that sense or that feeling when you don't have those things is drugs. Yeah. And I think the thing too, what a big takeaway, I know when we first looked at it is that the systems we have in place are significantly broken and they have not always been friendly to black people and and specifically to black people who use drugs. So one big, big takeaway is just the wildness behind a broke, excuse me, a broken system. And like you said, if housing, um, you know, I gave the example which is my clinic, you know, when somebody in, move and interacts throughout our systems, going from a hospital system to a clinic system to, you know, going to a um, um, sober living type environment that sometimes people are lost and there's no follow up because sometimes people may imply or feel like, you know, well, they left, they left AMA anyways. Like that is one thing I really hope the hospital association would change, like this idea of somebody leaving against medical advice. Like why can't we create a safe discharge plan in place to make sure we have follow up? to make sure that we can connect that person to the next level. Like, I don't even understand how to fully navigate all of the systems. I mean, we have a roadmap that we looked at, and it's so confusing. Like, where to go for treatment? Where to go for this? How can I get involved in this? What's the phone number to call? And, like, if we can't navigate that, what do you think about the individual who's in that system? So one big, big takeaway, our system is just... It's horrible. It's broken. And we all need to come together to fix that system so people can move and navigate safely and not get lost and broken in the system. And so your sense is there are people who are wanting help. They are seeking help. And then they're just almost falling through the cracks of this fragmented system we have. They're not able to get to the point where things can get stable enough to to kick themselves up to the next level. One example we always talk about, you know, treatment centers. I mean, we're open nine to five, even, you know, primary care clinics. What if somebody, you know, at two a.m., where are you going to go if you if you say, like, you know what, this I, I'm, I'm ready for this. I want to start treatment. You have to wait until they open at 9, and then you may not even be able to get in that day. You probably can't get in to two or three weeks later. So, like, that's some of the system issues that we have to deal with that is not friendly to people who use drugs, but just in general, just healthcare in general. Like, you can't, you know, continue to go to the emergency department. They put great things in place, but that's an example of how the system is broken. You know, using drugs is not a 9 to 5 thing, right. and we have to realize that. So you're talking about some big systems and, as you say, so broken. How do you begin to go about helping the people in St. Louis who are struggling with this day-to-day when so much is stacked against them systemically? Yeah, I I think it's a dual-pronged approach, Mm -hmm. right? So like I said, there are organizations who have been working uh, on the ground to try to build trust um, and 
meet some of these basic needs that I mentioned aren't being needs, start to instill that sense of security, that sense of social support. And we need to invest in those grassroots efforts. Um, Mm -hmm. One, we need to invest in them because they uh, have they they're existing. They're black led, right? They're really focused on trust and relationship building, which is a huge problem. You know, one thing that comes up often is, oh, perhaps black people don't seek treatment because of medical mistrust. And Tuskegee comes up a lot, right, mm-hmm. as a big example. But it's not just Tuskegee, right? As this as this old parable, it is current experiences that people yeah. are having in the treatment system that uh, they're either finding traumatizing or they feel like are not for them. So national research shows that black people are much less likely to finish substance use disorder treatment than white people, right? And it's that's because the treatment is not working for them, right? Mm-hmm. That's on the people who are providing treatment. So while we're working on some of those systems changes, we need to invest in some of these community approaches that are more focused on um the cultural sensitivity on building relationship and trust, on building that security, we'll be here when you need us. What is it you need? Is it food? Is it wound care after, you know, um, drug injection? Is it um, Narcan because you're concerned, you know, just because you ran out and you, you know, you want to use, but you just don't want to die. Most people don't want to die. Whatever it is, we're here. And we have got to continue to invest in some of these grassroots efforts. And so even at the time that we have seen these numbers go up and up and the number of black people dying is going up every year, there has been a lot of money that has been put into these problems across the region. Do you think that money has been put in the wrong buckets? Yes. Yes, I do. And I I think I would say I I will like to just give some acknowledgement. I think, you know, unfortunately, it took for so many black people to die to where it kind of raised the 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 attention of a state level. Like, oh, we need to do something, which I am grateful for that. You know, any amount of attention is is, I'm always grateful for that. But I definitely think that more resources, more money, yes, can be uh, more more intentionally focused on the communities um, and not let it get to this X amount of, of people overdosing and dying. And so um, so I would say we need to do more. And what we've done is a, it's a start, but it's not the end. Definitely we need to do more investment. Yeah, I will say that one way the, the money has been used well is for broad and extensive naloxone or Narcan distribution, yes. mm-hmm. right? Any like it, pretty much anybody in Missouri can get Narcan if they want it, and I would suggest that they do so. Um, that is really important just t- to save lives. There's nothing we can do once someone overdoses and dies for the like we can't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. But if we can save them or if you, the average person, can save them, then that gives them another chance. So that's one way that the money has been used correctly. However, we've really got to work, like I said, um, on investing in some of these grassroots efforts if we're going to address racial inequities. And then we also, you know, that might look like investing in the peer workforce, um, making sure there are peer navigators to help black people specifically through this very confusing treatment process mm-hmm. that uh, and and system that Dr. Cunningham was talking about earlier following up when they do leave treatment because like I said treatment is disproportionately doesn't serve them so that they haven't um, been abstinent for some time and then go back out, use an overdose and die because their tolerance has mm-hmm. gone down. So there's um, some, we we do need to reconsider some of the investment uh, in the opioid, the dollars that have been 
coming into Missouri for opioids specifically. And so, I was thinking of, you know, one thing you were getting at too, just with these systems, just making sure, you know, once you have somebody who interact with our system, making sure that provider, that person who sit in front of them can understand that the person sitting in front of me is not just a black person. This is a human being who have family members, there's trauma, there's so many different things you have to address. Um, just even just on the treatment side, there's so many providers who don't feel comfortable at starting buprenorphine, at increasing to the doses. There's so much fear behind that. Um, when is it appropriate to use Vivitrol? When does somebody may need a referral to methadone? So on that level, there's so much education that needs to be broadly um, given to all of our providers, not just treatment providers, but primary care doctors that's in this space. Our health centers, I'm going to be biased here, I think that's the next wave at really helping to lift this because health centers, we are equipped to address the mental wellness needs, to address the social determinants of health with community health workers. So I think this non-traditional idea of not only limiting this and putting all of the earnest on treatment centers, but to also bring in our FQHCs, our community health centers, because it's going to take all of us and not just only one focused group of people, but all of us to be able to come to the table with this. So this is such a big issue, and there are some big things that need to happen here. There are some big things <laughs> happening, and it's exciting to hear about this initiative. I hope that these new numbers just out today, as much as they're devastating, that they help bring new urgency to these efforts. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Dr. Kanika Cunningham, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And Dr. Cunningham leads Community Outreach for the Center Initiative. She's also a family medicine doctor at Family Care Health Centers of Carondelet. And Devin Banks, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And Devin is director of UMSL's Racial Equity and Addiction Across the Lifespan Lab. That's the real lab and leader of the research arm of the Center Initiative. You can see centerstl.org for more information on that initiative. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.